All right, we are now we are now recorded. I feel like I'm at the Starship Enterprise here. Uh, Luke chapter nine. I'm going to start reading uh, at the middle of verse forty-three because that's really where it should start. While everyone was marveling at all that Jesus did, he said to his disciples, "Listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men." They did not understand what this meant. It, it was hidden from them so that they did not grasp it, and they were afraid to ask him about it. We are about to start here in Luke a series of passages that I have struggle explaining. Remember, we had that two weeks ago before the transfiguration. Uh, there were some things that um, Jesus said that was, um, that was very rush and very difficult. Um, and I said, we, we really just can't explain this away. We're, Luke is going to do that to us now for another couple of chapters. The other Gospels tend to smooth it over. Mark will add a couple of emotion words, like he was frustrated or uh, he was surprised. Luke doesn't even give us this. Uh, there was a book written back in the 80s. I, I don't have my copy anymore called The Hard Sayings of Jesus. And a lot, you'd be surprised how much of that was taken up by Luke. Uh, so here we go. Listen carefully. And then he says something that the scripture says was hidden to them. And they were too afraid to ask questions. A couple of really great human things here that we should probably bring up. One, they were too afraid to ask him questions. Why would you be afraid to ask Jesus a question? And the answer comes back because he is your rabbi and he acts like a person. He is not holding a baby lamb all the time, shining. He was not always nice. There were times he got very rough. I'm not trying to <clears throat> indicate that he, he ever sinned because uh, obviously scripture makes very plain he never did. Paul, Paul actually even brings that up. Um, be angry, but sin not. Do not let the sun go down upon your wrath. Find a way to use the anger. Jesus is getting angry here because if you remember, he's come off the mountain where his father's told him, you're doing a great job. Always listen to Jesus. He's come down off the mountain, right into a situation when he told his apostles to do something they couldn't. There was a lack of faith. People were standing around ready to test him. It was just a collapse from mountain to valley. Um, I, I have to tell you this. Um, we got a text today from Josh, our, our son-in-law. They're doing church at home as well as their church online. And so he asked the boys, why is it important for us to gather on Sunday? Well, he said their answer was, well, because God said, but he said to gather on Saturday, Jesus said Sunday, so we go with Jesus. I was thinking, all right, um, first of all, I'll take that. I'll take that anytime. They missed the whole concept of the gathering, but that's, that's all right. Here he comes off of the mountain, just on the highest high he's going to get before Palm Sunday. And I, don't, I think Palm Sunday was very mitigated to him because he knew it was coming. This was not. This was the high point. Comes down and finds 
the, the apostles aren't acting in faith, the people aren't acting in faith, and the religious watchdogs are hovering, waiting to leap upon him, he's not going to be in the best mood. Now, the people are marveling at what he does, but they're not all grasping it. Jesus wants them to understand it isn't all mountains, and the valleys we're going to hit are going to be lower than any valley you might expect. When he says the son of man, that throws us off. We don't use that expression, except in church. And we don't understand it there. It was a wide ranging phrase. Um, it could, and in prophecies, indicate that a very special person was coming. But he was coming from, from mankind. He was not going to descend to us. By the time Jesus is using it, and in this context, he's really saying, this guy. And he's warned them ahead. If you remember, everyone's marveling. They're just going, yay. And he's not going to let himself get pulled up again. Because he's saying, listen, these voices that are saying, yes, I marvel, you're doing so great, are the very people who will turn on you. And they're going to turn on me. And I'm not going to be here forever. I'm going to be delivered into the hands of men. <clears throat> Give that a thought. Did they know he was deity? I, I, yeah, I think they did. Did they know everything, what that all meant? Well, no, and I'm not sure we do half the time. But the whole concept of a God submitting himself into the hands of ignorant, evil, men who have bad motives, that's, un, that's new. And it's one of the reasons why Christianity really struggled to, to flourish in Europe, particularly in the northern climes and um, in Euro-Asia, if you go off into Russia, what we now call today Russia, and all of the stands around the side, you know, um, uh, Chechnya as well, um, Georgia, Ukraine, because the people up there worshipped Nordic gods. Um, the word Russia comes from a people called the Rus, who came, they were really Vikings. There's same same uh, stream of humanity that were the Vikings. And their Nordic gods were all about war, all about blood, all about slaughter, and all about winning. And your god was the big big god that wins. And I've only seen one or two of them, and I paid scant attention. They were on the television. Uh, Avenger movies are very wrapped into this. The gods are at war. Um, and who's the toughest god among these Avengers? In fact, they even bring in Thor, one of that panel play there. People have a hard time accepting a wounded, broken god being a good thing. Whenever we get out of our Ecclesiastes series and get into our Revelation series, it, that'll really be driven home because you'll have all of heaven rejoicing, worshiping, you, the circling around. It's all then dead solid focused on the God in the center. And John writes, and there was a broken lamb. This is new. This is completely new. Jesus is telling them something so new, they're not getting it. But because of the stresses of the recent moments, they're afraid to even ask him. 
So instead, what they do is something uh, very, very stupid. Here we go. An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. Then he said to them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. For whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is least among you all who is the greatest. Um, well, once again, Jesus is not letting off the hook. He is standing everything on his head. Uh, most of us work in places where there is a, um, a chain of command. There is a flow chart of authority. And it narrows as you get to the very top. Our politics do that. Um, our police forces do that. The stores we shop at do that. They, they you, you always, you, you, can, uh, you can say, I demand to see the next level manager. You should go on up. We understand authority flows down. And we've, um, that's just the way we've built in our entire system. And Jesus is upending the system. And I would submit to you that we still don't get this. Now, I do not want to pick on the Catholic Church here. I just want to say what the Roman Catholic Church does and the Orthodox, the various Orthodox churches do, is merely they do visually what almost all of us do mentally. For you, you go from a, um, and then you become a bishop, and then you can become a cardinal. Most don't make all these transitions. You know, and you can, you, there are different forms of all of these things, archbishops and the like. And each one of them gets a different outfit and a different hat and a different, uh, some of them get a, a crook or a crozier um, and they get different jobs and authority. And then they can speak for, and they speak with authority. Well, we, we don't do any of this. And yet we will, we do it inside. We don't, we're not, we're not quite as honest. We don't put it on the outside. And we, you know, well, the minister said this, well, the elder said this, well, this guy's a scholar in the New Testament, and you know, I, I'll pull that card. I'll say Bobby Valentine wrote this. John Mark Hicks wrote that. While it is very valid to refer to scholars, because I have to. I don't, I don't know stuff, and so I have to refer to scholars. Jesus says, watch out that your religion doesn't become top-down. Sadly, within a few hundred years, Rome decided that Christians were not going to be able to be wiped out. And the emperor had married a Christian or she had converted. I'm not really sure on that. And I should have been sure. That's my bad. And so Constantine legalized the church. I hear people say all the time, he made it the official church of the Roman Empire. No, he legalized it, gave it certain protections. It wasn't until he was dying that he made it official. But he wanted it controlled. And therefore, if you take a look at the organization of the Roman emperor and the Senate and all of prelates all the way down. It absolutely mirrors what today we call the Roman Catholic church, not exactly the Orthodox churches, but again, not picking on them. This is the way he had to unify and move everybody together. And what do we say? Well, we all better be on the same page here. When religion, according to Matthew 25, again, is feeding people in the name of Jesus, going to visit them in prison, taking care of them when they have no clothes, sharing our goods. Um, it's, it's so unlike 
anything else on the planet. It just is. This is going to be always, I think, a human struggle, especially if I may, for men. Men speak the language of king of the hell. Uh, in fact, I've, I've often asked psychology classes, especially if I'm teaching undergrads, um, would you go to a bookstore that's getting harder and harder to do? We still have Barnes and Noble. Uh, please go buy something. Uh, would, you go, uh, would you go to a bookstore and I want you to look at the magazines. Now, call it sexist, call it stereotype, whatever you want to call it, there are magazines that are geared to catch the eye of women as a block. Exceptions, but as a block. And there are magazines that are designed to catch the attention of men. With men, it is how to catch the biggest fish, big, have the biggest boat, make the most money, be right in a political argument, have a better gun, it's always a faster car, it's always up, 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 up. And there are cars on the streets now with 740 horsepower. I'm going, you know, where can you use this? Anybody could use it once. And then, hello, meet tree. But we always, it's always up there, always up there. Jesus is asking us to turn our entire nature upside down. And by the way, if you're wondering, the women, it's all about community. Watch it. Some of it is how to make yourself prettier so a guy gets you. And that's a little, that those bother me. But then again, they didn't ask me. Most of them are things such as, you know, 23 recipes your family will love during self-quarantine. It's still community. I think men have a greater curse to overcome in this area to be um, more humble. You know, I, men don't think in terms uh, of, uh, of that community as often as we should. You know, I've never been out in the woods walking about with guys and one of them say, you know, look at the, there's a pile of sticks and we could, we could wad that up into a circle and put dead flowers in it and hang it somewhere and that'd be pretty. Women have these thoughts. We don't. And so I think men need to, we need to be very honest that our ego is a killer. And the ego of people in power is literally a killer. It can decide who gets funds, who gets treatment, when do we go to war, and who do we send. And a lot of it is ego. Um, heard a guy once teaching a, a world cultures class. Cannot remember his name, and I wish I could because I'd like to credit him. But he said, any country you go to, where everywhere you look, there are pictures of the ruler run. That, I've always remembered this. You know, don't, if, if you look around and see pictures of the ruler everywhere, ah. of course, then I came to America and walked right into a post office and I went, oh, hello. But to be fair, we have the queen there and, uh, all over the place in Britain. She's even on the stamps, but she's so ineffectual, we're not really worried. That said, in, in God's kingdom, if you want to be in charge, you have to give up being in charge. When I go traveling about and work with elderships, I got to tell you, that's a hard sell. That is a very hard sell for them. I've even had people say, but I feel like I should know everything going on in the church. And I say, you absolutely can. If the church is well under 100 and most of them are related to you. You're, you're going to need to give up this desire for control. Um, 
I could go on, but I'm looking over. I, I like uh, Holly's comment, the, the scandal of self-interest and the elevation of self. Yeah. Yeah. It's not you doing it. It's us doing it. You know, I'm, I'm as guilty as anybody I see before me uh, and more guilty than we, we really, this is something we have to fight every day. I'm wondering if that's what Paul was talking about, or at least part of it, when he said he beats his body daily to stay in subjection. Well, that was figure of speech. He's not whacking himself. He's just saying it's that hard just to stay true. Not seeing a question, so I'm going to pop up because we, we got to, um, there's a lot of whip cracking in, in these two chapters of Luke, almost like Mark, where he's talking about one thing and whoop, I'm talking about another now. Luke doesn't do that usually. He usually runs with the theme, but this, these two chapters are a bit choppy. Master said, John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he's not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for whoever is not against you is for you. Well, we've all heard um, the, the opposite of this. Whoever is not for us is against us. Jesus doesn't do it that way. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a real risk here. But just to show you how this really hurts on the, the ground level. When we lived in Colorado, um, wildfires were a real issue. And people don't think of this. They think of Colorado and they think of mountains with snow and skiing. And, and certainly there are those places. But most of Colorado is desert. Even Denver is a high desert. Colorado Springs is a thousand feet higher, but desert. So once a fire gets started, oh my goodness. We had um, a couple of our members, loot. well, one lost a house and, and one that was damaged, quite a few displaced. We turned our church building into a refuge center where people could come and shower and eat and, and sleep. Well, there are two or three Church of Christ, um, what would I call that, related, organized, or um, uh, it, there are rescue facilities, and, and um, we're going to bring in food and clothing for those in tragic. They do great jobs, and I'm not trying to say be mean to them or anything, because we, we certainly weren't. Well, they showed up in town, and we had the biggest parking lot in the area, so they brought all their trucks there. But then the man in charge came in to interview me because he had been told we weren't a steady, strong, orthodox, uh, sound doctrine Church of Christ. And his people didn't want to work with us unless we were. Now, once you think about that for a while, we're not going to feed these people and help these people because they're not where we are on women and instruments and are the Catholics going to heaven. That was mind blowing. It was a very difficult afternoon. And he announced that he had uh, made a couple phone calls and th that no, he could not work with us. Um, goodbye. And he just pulled all the stuff out and there went the trailers. A couple days later, he called and said he'd had second thoughts and would like to work with us. Everybody else had turned him down for some reason. I don't know why. I gritted my teeth and let it come in. But just that very thought, we'll feed them, but only if. What a horrible concept. 
I have been told that the other relief organizations um, affiliated with the, affiliated was the word I was looking for earlier, with Churches of Christ, don't do this. By the way, the next year we had wildfires. They uh, made some calls around to other churches and didn't show up at all, this particular one. And then we got messages from the other one saying, do you need help? I said, sure. If your religion is keeping you from helping people, it's not a Jesus religion at all. These people, uh, John had seen other people throwing out demons and he was saying, wait a minute, that's our job. He's not part of us. We told him to stop. And Jesus said, no, don't you do that. I rejoice if I hear that the Primitive Baptist Church there on 31 and Henpeck is uh, feeding the poor. I rejoice in that. And if um, this last weekend, some of you, let me look about, I don't see the names now. Um, they, they chimed in, they, oh yeah, I see, I see the Morrises there. Um, some of you helped one gen away feed a ton of people. Now is one gen away Church of Christ? No. Is everybody there? Do they buy into everything? No. Well, then why would we help them? Because Jesus said to. Somebody's hungry. Feed them. Take care of them. Can you see why these, this little section is a bomb that if we really dealt with it, would blow up? I, I, I don't want to make up a number here, but I'm just going to say a lot of churches and religions. It would absolutely destroy them. No top-down you're going to have a rough time and whoever's doing good, you can do good with them. That's, um, that's stunning. And I'll tell you right now that any preacher who preached that as their tryout sermon in most of our tribe would not be asked back. Uh, I, I remember the first time that hit me it was way back when I lived in West Virginia. That's where I get the accent. Um, and the young boys took over a Wednesday night service. Um, it, was a, it was not a hostile takeover. You know, we, we ceded the, the ground to them. And one of them, um, they had decided to, they, to just read First John. And they took turns reading all the way through First John. And about halfway in, I looked over at Cammie and I said, it just hit me. If I stood up and preached this as my sermon, I would be fired most of the places that I've worked. And she looked at me and she kind of, her eyes got a little big and she started to nod too. She starts listening. Isn't it interesting how much we have ignored Christ by trying to protect him and keep him to ourselves by not letting him be in charge? Um, what a tragedy. Chat box is being very quiet. Um, by the way, I don't think this is a Fourth Avenue issue. And so I'm so much safer to talk about this here, but this is recorded and I will get an email or two. Uh, and that's all right. That's part of the, you know, the, if Jesus doesn't get away without nails and whips, I'll probably gonna get some emails from time to time. We're about to get something that one of them, and I'm, I'm getting excited, I wanna leap into this because uh, Luke is gonna set us up for something that we're not going to get to for a couple of weeks. Um, he's going to introduce Samaritans and a problem and then drop it. And then he's going to bring them back again. 51, Luke 9, 
as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Now that's one of these, uh, you really need to have four or five versions to grab that verb. Um, and another phrase used in scripture, he set his face. Do, do any of you have relatives that you know by looking at them? Oh, okay, discussion, discussion is over. No pointing is needed, even though if you have gallery view, you can point to the Brady Bunch people around you. Um, I, my wife says she sees it in my, in my face. I certainly see it in her face. Um, we see it in our kids' face. There comes a time where you go, and we're done. Jesus was resolutely, he was headed. He was going to do this. He sent messengers on ahead. I'd like to know a lot more about these people, and there's no information. Who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him, but the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. All right, it's a single paragraph here, but there really should be two paragraphs because there are two things going on. First of all, the Samaritans. I can't believe I'm about to say this, but Wikipedia has a good article on the Samaritans. It is long, thorough, and well footnoted. This does not happen often. I think we ought to uh, at least stop for a moment and acknowledge they did a good job on Samaritans. Be aware, however, that that's today. The last time I looked at it, it can be edited uh, again. The origin of the Samaritans is actually disputed by some. Uh, when I was younger, I was told by my Bible class teachers and the, the information they had was that when the people of Israel were taken into captivity, they didn't take all of them. Very, very true. They probably took less than 10% because they only took the upper class, the intelligentsia and the royals uh, as a rule. But those left behind married non-Jews. And so Samaritans were mixed blood. That's not really true. Everybody's mixed blood to some degree or another. So that's, that's not true. Samaritans had a religious argument with mainstream Judaism. Samaritans considered themselves Jews, but they would have never called themselves Jews because of what they felt the Jews had done with being Jewish. They, uh, Samaritans accepted the, the five books of Moses. There were some variations in those books and their books from the ones that Jews and uh, Orthodox Judaism uh, accepted. And many of the other books they did not accept. They also worshiped on a different mountain because if we're being honest, when you look at the first five books of the Bible and you see the history, and then you look at Chronicles and Kings, Joshua and Judges, you find worshiping in Jerusalem was a really late idea. They worshiped in many other places and had altars in other places and went to worship God in other places and were accepted there. It was well until the time of David that that began to get brought. And then um, once a temple was built, they were told, no, you can't worship him except right here. The Samaritans didn't buy into any of that. They said, no, we've always been able to do this. Our fathers were Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as well. In fact, they referred to them as their fathers. And they look upon the Jews as you wandered off from our family. You did not accept uh, the leadership of God. You brought in all these other books by, by um, you know, people that named Amos and Obadiah that nobody ever heard of. 
And by the way, we know absolutely nothing about the life of Amos and Obadiah and most of these. And so they rejected them. This was a religious argument that was also, dun, 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 a family argument. Now do you see why it's so hard? Um, there's nothing worse than a family fight except a family fight that's also a religious fight. And then when you got a whole bunch of people on your side and they got a whole bunch of people on their side, the Samaritans right now actually are in danger of extinction because of the wars in Syria uh, in particular and in Lebanon. You know, they've made their villages. There's, they still have uh, several hundred in the nation of Israel, but there comes a time where you, you go past, you, your line has gotten so much, it's terminal now. And right now it looks terminal for the Samaritans. A Jew had many enemies. Um, that's not a racist comment. A Patrick has many enemies. A, a white man or a black man. We have people that for some reason or another, we find ourselves doing this with. It could be religion or politics or finances or marriage, divorce or whatever. A Jewish man could rightfully look at the Romans as his enemies. He could rightfully look upon uh, many of their territories that they'd swung, you know, that, that the Romans had brought in as their enemies. And some of the Ethiopians that they brought in, by the way, Ethiopian in Jesus's day meant a whole lot of other places than just the one we call today. So it's really hard to know which one. It was those outer fringes, you know. Um, and then by the way, I'm, I'm doing this, you can't see all of it, but that, I'm seriously, because it covered a lot of Africa, the north of Africa, a little bit, uh, more the northeastern, a little bit of Egypt, and some even referred to, to west, I'm sorry, east of Syria as Ethiopia. Now these people are bringing their religious in things in. And you have the Sadducees, those wild liberals, they could find all kinds of enemies. But the enemy number one was the Samaritans. You know, I... Um, I don't really want to go into details here. My, my father and mother came to um, the, their first church and where they were baptized is what we would call a Christian church, independent Christian church. It is part of the restoration movement, as are we, and it split from us or we split from them. I'll, I'll let anybody make that argument either way. They're very, very close to us, but just a little different. And my father's I mean, he, he would preach against anybody, but those Christian church people were the worst. That's, so I, maybe, I, maybe I was raised in a house so I understand Jews and Samaritans a little easier because that fight was brutal. So when they found out Jesus is going to Jerusalem, you're not, you're not welcome here. If you visit Jerusalem, uh, Israel to this very day, their um, travel rules have changed dramatically. The last I heard, you can actually ask them not to stamp your passport. Because if you wanted then to go to Egypt or Saudi Arabia or one of these Muslim countries that is not okay with Israel, Egypt's actually a little bit, little bit okay anymore, but still the individual person opening up the passport at the immigration desk, if they see Israel, they can block you from the country. No, we don't. If you want to be there, you can't be here. That's really what's going on here. Saying, no, you're going to Jerusalem? Well, then you're not part of us. We're, we want nothing to do with you. 
we need to be really careful that we don't do God's job. He's the one who sorts the wheat from the chaff. We always want to get our hands in. We always want to be the people to help God do that job. Um, still quiet over there. So, one of the disciples, one of the disciples, rather, James and John saw this. I, I, I just got to tell you, I love this story in the book of John because in the book of John, he just said, some disciples said, <laughs> here, he's named in this one. James and John saw this. They said, Lord, do you want us? Now, remember, these are the very people that just couldn't throw a demon out because they didn't have enough faith. I guess they're, trying, they're puffing up the chest now. Do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. I, this, I don't know how to do this. I really don't. I don't know how to rebuke somebody for judging somebody. Because what happens? You get right caught judging that person. Michael sorted it out. Michael the archangel, whenever he was in contest, uh, contest over, um, over the body of Moses with Satan, said, the Lord rebuke you. I'm even uncomfortable saying that. All I can say is Jesus doesn't act like the Nordic gods or the way that sometimes uh, Yahweh, Jehovah, is portrayed in the Old Testament. It is not a God of wrath we find there. If Albert was in this class, he would grab the mic and say, amen, that grace is all over the Old Testament. I miss Albert. Uh, he chimes in on our Tuesday meetings in Zoom, but for some reason, it's only to hear. They can't talk or use the video. But uh, we always know Albert's listening, so be good. Do you want us to call down fire from heaven and destroy them? These are people that rejected Jesus when he's going to Jerusalem, knowing he's about to die. And he says, no. And he says to rebuke them. I, I would like to have actually heard the rebuke. Wouldn't you? You know, I, I'd like to hear an acceptable Jesus way of rebuking. Um, we are not given that way. A cross-cultural, you know, what did he say? You, you idiots. Um, that's not the way we do things. I don't think he said that. That's what I would have said. Actually, to be honest, I might have called down the fire. You know, I, I don't know. But I love Jesus because he does not have a comfortable five minutes in these two chapters, except for the transfiguration. It is just, um, I often tell God how hard it is on the planet, but every so often I'm reminded to acknowledge how hard it must be to be God. It's got to be brutally difficult to be God and deal with what he has to deal with. So how did Jesus solve it? He went somewhere else. My, um, my dad tells, told the story that um, his, um, his, his uncle, he'd always been trying to get him to come to church. Well, the uncle was always, well, I'm working. Well, and the fact is, faith is not a deep river in, our, um, in my family history. So any excuse will do. But one night, he did come to a gospel meeting where dad was preaching. Dad was very excited. It was obviously he'd come right from work. Uh, he worked, I believe, something to do with auto mechanics or body work or the like. He still had grease on him, and he still was a bit tatty. 
He sat in the pew and this really proper lady beside him looked at him and she just pulled her coat over. And dad said he could see from the pulpit that his uncle just looked over and pulled his jacket over. Um, it, is, it is just so easy to find a way to offend someone. We, Cammie and I have gone into places where we weren't really welcomed and said, you know, there are other places. And I learned that from Jesus. I don't have to stay and fight this out and ask for the manager and cause a scene. No, there are other places. Let's just go there. Uh, we can vote with our feet. You've heard that expression? And vote with our dollars. We can just, we can just go on. Um, Jesus doesn't, yeah, uh, Holly says, Jesus doesn't allow for pushing God out of his judgment seat. And that's absolutely correct. And that's something, frankly, um, or as we in the British would say, to be honest, I have to remind myself of frequently that I'm having um, unrighteous thoughts, um, thoughts of, of private uh, revenge via verb. You know, I, I don't have you know, burning house down type revenge. Um, there are times that somebody will say something to me and I have absolutely the most brilliant comeback two days later. And, and I want to hop on the phone and call him and give him that, you know, but it's, it's that ship has sailed. Instead, move on. Just move on. The, um, let's see, we've got just four minutes and it's actually a block, but it's really something we need to think about for Holy Week. So let's, let's end this class time together by reading Luke 9, uh, 57 through 62. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, which indicates, by the way, the first guy didn't, didn't even hang around for the end of that sentence. Oh, oh, dude, okay, out, gone. I've actually had people say, I'd like to be a minister. How much do you guys make? And I'm going, this may not be your job. You know, it does take 10 people to carry my money, but I never see it. I've said that many times, and I'm afraid that he might have believed it. So he says to another man, follow me. So he's not just rejecting followers. He's, he's choosing. But he replied, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And there's going to be a third man show up here. When I was a boy, that disturbed me no end. And I asked the teachers, and they gave me actually pretty good um, explanations, but that didn't help. It just, this really bothered me. This is a hard thing to say, is it not? Um, and I am told by people who know this stuff that this guy's dead, this guy's father wasn't dead. The idea was, wait until my father is dead and then I can follow you. His father therefore must have had some big control and some big um, objection to Jesus. And he doesn't want to dishonor his father. I, I really get that. You don't want to dishonor your father. Fair enough. That, that's a very noble thing unless it gets in the way of your faith. Um, but believe me, this is a discussion we've had in my house many times. Um, and it's still one that brings me pain when I think back on it. He's, Jesus is saying, no, you have potential to do great good. 
but you cannot wait to do good until those who oppose you die. So this is, I, I envision this guy's dad laying in the front lawn, rotting, and Jesus saying, no, can't go back for the funeral. It's not it. So the question I have to ask myself as I was growing up, uh, and even as an adult in my 30s and 40s, um, who is your father? Who has the right to direct your path? Are you willing to, to carry a cross or not? And uh, those are much easier questions to ask than to answer. Third guy, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first go back and say goodbye to my family. I got nothing for this one. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Wow. I think we need to, we need to work in the situation here as we are in our last minute or two. Jesus is walking to his death. In Luke, it's a very slow walk. Um, others tell this story closer to the end. Uh, Luke is all about eating with people who did Jesus eat with, therefore fellowship and motion on the way, on the way, on the way. Um, people keep coming up to him and keep trying to distract him. Hey, I'll be right back. And Jesus is going, no, you won't. No, you won't. You're only going to be with me if you come to be with me, set your face and go. Walk. Now, this passage in isolation would lead some of us to think that there is no forgiveness for our failures. And that is patently not true. Um, God shows us that he forgives us and his, the, the blood of Christ continually forgives us of all sins. But Jesus had to remind himself not to stop and go back and say goodbye to family, not to stop and thank Mary and Martha and Lazarus and uh, you know, any of the other Marys for all that they had done. He had to keep moving forward. All of this is a distraction. This guy wants to go back and say goodbye to his family, then come follow Jesus. Jesus is going to be dead by then. That's why Jesus says, work for the night is coming. This is all you've got. And raising our kids, we told them every time they had homework that said, we don't have, I don't, this isn't due for two weeks. We said, no, it's, it's due today. Because if you don't get it done today, something can happen that will keep you from being able to do it two weeks from now. So we, uh, um, we weren't always beloved with that decision. But with the reading, uh, summer reading, or with Christmas break reading, I don't think they did anything else for the other breaks. We would front load it. Let's get the reading done. Now, you can't do that with some schools today, by the way, because I've noticed that they have a lot of books. And so we wouldn't have done that to them. But they'd have three or four books. Let's get that done first thing out the bag. Let's get all that sorted. And then you can coast. And their friends, of course, are having heart palpitations as, as they see the calendar flip over. What happens if you need to go to a funeral? What happens if you want to go to a wedding? What happens if you get sick? It's done. So I've already, I recorded Easter sermon last Monday. And, and I told my staff, if I get sick, I don't want to leave you in a lurch. I want you to be able to have material you can use. And, and I'm not the only one, by the way. The staff all likes to get their work done ahead of time um, to allow for that. 
But again, Jesus was focused. I can't make this pretty, but I can step back and say, if I was walking to my death, I think I would have been harder. With all the people who say, I'd really like to back you up and I'll get around to it. There won't be a, a day where you will because he's going to be gone. Any questions from, the, from, from all of you? I really appreciate the way you've come in. Uh, any questions at all? You can unmute if you like and talk to me, or you can type one. Uh, there's a thanks for doing this. It is my pleasure. It really is. Hi, good to uh, your your video just popped up. Good to see you. Um, all right. Well, God bless everyone. I hope you have a blessed and wonderful Holy Week. I absolutely miss seeing you. Um, I'm told that huggers miss hugging you, but I, I do miss seeing you very much, and hope that we can celebrate can can i give you a little bit of good news before we leave and i'm going to talk about it a bit more on my monday if you got a minute i spend a good two hours every day crunching numbers reading reports and such from my friends who are in the field of viruses and uh, epidemiology and the like i am not so i have to work off their models what i will tell you is that the models are crashing right now um, the rhetoric we're hearing is not uh, reflective of that. And this is not final. No model ever is. But right now, the death rate in even Louisiana, which per capita is the death rates higher than New York City, um, even in these super hot spots, is not coming near what we expected. The hospital ship that was pulled in uh, as of last night only has 20 patients. Um, ICU beds are not full. In fact, two-thirds of what they expected aren't there. We're seeing this across the country. You're going to have people that are going to start yelling now, saying, you know, we, we, we went too far, and others going, no, we didn't. I want you to allow another thing to be in play here. I'm not angry at the people who made the first models, and I'm not angry at the people making the ones now. I've been talking to God, asking him, to bring a quick end. So instead of saying these people lied to us and this, no, I'm just going to say God's at work collapsing the models. God's at work saving as many humans as he can and his will still be done. I think we need to give God credit rather than get angry at politicians uh, or at doctors that are doing their best. You know, viruses are tricky at best. So I'll talk a little bit about that in the Monday morning, but I just want to give you a little bit of hope for Holy Week. Uh, I do believe that the end is coming sooner rather than later. Um, and the end in a good way, by the way. <laughs> in a good way, the end. God bless everybody. Cheerio.